It's time with Pastor Mike Kessler starts now. This is It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN International, featuring Pastor Mike Kessler, Senior Pastor at the River. Today, Pastor Mike is going to be teaching in the book of 1 Samuel. Located way back in the Old Testament, the books of 1 and 2 Samuel are the legacy that reveals the change from God-appointed judges over the people to the kingdom era, where the Jews are ruled over by a king both a departure from God's ways and a foreshadow of God's ways. With our study on the book of 1 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike. We're going to continue our study looking at uh, really the life of Samuel, uh, his input into the life of Saul, the nation of Israel, and then eventually David. Of course, we're not going to get into all of that tonight, but basically uh, Samuel's ministry was very unique in that he was the last really governing prophet over Israel. Uh, we remember that the people, and so um, God then uh, listened to uh, what the people had said. Uh, God told and spoke to Samuel saying, it isn't that they've rejected you, Samuel, it's that they've rejected me. And so we understand that, uh, that there was a great, um, you might say, demonstration of God's power, uh, disproving of the way and what the children of Israel had done. Uh, in demanding a king, we remember that God sent a hailstorm on their crops and kind of wiped them out. And uh, so Saul is uh, basically been recognized, coronated as king now, and uh, he begins to reign. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your word. We ask you now that as we'd spend this time in your study, that you would just bless each person's heart. God, listening to this tonight, we love you and thank you. And we just ask you now, God, that we would remember these things. Uh, we can apply them to our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We find, uh, starting off here in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, um, Saul started off okay. But um, it isn't starting any race, it's how you finish it. Uh, most of us know that. In fact, I don't know if you ever remember back when you were in high school and uh, when you had gym class, and maybe the first time you ever did the 600-yard dash and uh, they dropped the flag, and you were the first one running fast. You were ahead of everybody else until you realized that you hadn't even ran 100 yards yet, and there was still 500 more yards to go, and your tongue's hanging out. And by the time you get to the finish line, you're walking across the uh, finish line, not running anymore. Well, a lot of times that's the way it is uh, in a lot of people's Christian experience, kind of like fireworks on the 4th of July. There's a lot of spark, and there's a lot of that stuff, and then by the time that it's over, uh, there's not much left. And, and so, uh, again, we recognize in, in our relationship with God, Jesus said it's a walk. I, I believe it's very important that, uh, that we um, uh, remember that uh, God's called us to do His will, uh, and that we do it, uh, and God isn't going to burn you out or overburden you, uh, but he simply will give you the uh, command each day to do what he's called you to do. Well, Saul starts off, and it says he reigned for one year. Now, this would be nice if this was the uh, beginning and the uh, end of Saul's reign, and this was all we had to read about, but uh, it seems that it goes all downhill from here. Uh, and that's the troubling part about this. So it says, and when he had reigned two years over Israel... Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Mishmash, the, in the mountains of Bethel. 
There was a thousand that were with Jonathan, his son, in Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. Now, evidently, the garrison of the Philistines was still around. We remember that God had granted to uh, Saul a victory. Uh, and so we, we see that, um, that God would bless Saul if Saul would listen to what he had to say. But it's interesting here that Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Gibeah. And the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land saying, let the Hebrews hear. Now, you might say this is where Saul was blowing his own horn, because um, literally he was. Uh, notice the next verse here. It's noteworthy. It says, now all of Israel heard it said that Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines and that Israel had also become an abomination, literally a, a stench, you might say, to the Philistines. And the people uh, and and uh, and the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. No, notice this. It says, "And Jonathan, verse three, attacked the garrison of the Philistines." Now all of Israel heard that it was Saul that attacked the garrison. Uh, he was actually claiming a victory that he didn't have anything to do with, and it was such an impressive victory that all the rest of the Philistines gathered against Israel to do war with him. Now. Again, uh, I think it's interesting a lot of times that uh, things get said. Uh, it said it was said throughout the land of Israel. You might say this is a rumor. Um, you know, uh, and it's noteworthy that a lot of times when rumors benefit somebody, even though it's a lie, they will leave the rumor in place because they're the chief beneficiary of the rumor being established. And of course, Saul didn't want to correct the rumor because after all, he was getting credit for a victory that he didn't do. I think a lot of times we have to be very careful of rumors. You have to be very careful of gossip because, again, most of the time what you hear in gossip simply just isn't true. There, there unfortunately, usually isn't even an element of truth in it. But, again, uh, the old saying goes, if you're going to tell a lie, tell a big one. And uh, evidently this was spread throughout the land that it was actually Saul's victory when, in fact, it was actually Jonathan's victory. Well, the Philistines... Like anybody, they didn't like, first of all, to be attacked. And second of all, uh, they had a reprisal uh, scheduled. And so we find the Philistines gathered together to fight Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and the people uh, uh, were like the sand, which is upon the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped at Mishmash to the east of Beth-Avon. So you find this huge army now that comes against um Israel and Saul. Now, uh, this is kind of funny here as you would read this because, again, um, since it really wasn't, it really wasn't a Saul's victory in the first place, uh, and you find this huge army now coming against uh, Israel, the people are scared. In verse 6 it says, and when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, <laughs> literally, for they were big time outnumbered, it says the people were distressed no doubt, because they had figured that they were going to lose even before they began to fight. Now, we remember last week when we studied together that uh, they had come up against, uh, Syria came up against the land of Israel. We remember they said, um, you come out, surrender to us, let us put out your right eye, and uh, we'll let you go. Uh, and they and they basically had surrendered before they ever fought. We remember they said, well, give us seven days, and we remember that Saul rallied Israel against them, and God gave them the victory. Well, it says then uh, the Philistines gathered together to fight Israel. 
And so we look at this, 30,000 chariots. Um, one of the things that, that, um, that the Philistines had that Israel didn't have is they had iron. They had uh, skilled enough to be able to form weapons out of iron, and uh, no doubt a lot in the chariots and things like this. It gave them an, uh, a military edge um, over the people of Israel. Now, the God of Israel gave Israel an edge over anything else. But the problem is they always didn't walk in the ways of the Lord. So uh, that was that edge was was conditional upon them walking with God. And so it says that they came up and camped. They had uh, 30,000 uh, chariots, 6,000 soldiers. Friends, this is a, a, a this is a pretty good size army even in today's standards. Well, notice it says the men of Israel saw they were in danger. They were distressed for the people hid in caves and in the thickets and the rocks and in the holes and in the pits and in the briars and the brambles and the places where a rabbit wouldn't go. I just had to throw that in there. <laughs> they were scared. They just started running. Uh, they saw what was coming. They figured it out. They knew they were outnumbered and they were freaked out. And so it says, and some of the Hebrews even crossed over the Jordan into the land of Gad in Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. <laughs> In other words, he had an army with them, but they weren't all that fired up about going up against the Philistines because they had heard how big the army that they were going to meet was. Well, then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. So evidently, because this was such an ominous threat against Israel, Saul, and his army, he had sent for Samuel. And evidently, Samuel said, wait there, I'll be there in seven days, uh, just wait. Well, he waited the seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him. Now, um, it's nice to know that there were other people that were men of God that were late in the Bible. I, I'm always in, I'm encouraged by this. Um, so Saul said, bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now, Friends, we remember that the inheritance for the tribe of Levi was to have the things that pertained to God. That was their inheritance. When the land was being distributed, when the children of Israel came into the promised land, they each got their own particular territories. And because they got their own territories, that was considered their inheritance. But the tribe of Levi did not get a parcel of land. What they rather got was they got little areas in each of the tribes of Israel's land, and they became basically the priests or the people who would intercede uh, to the people for God. And their inheritance were the things of God. So by Saul doing this, first of all, it was an unprescribed manner of worship. That's very important because there's a lot of people today that says, well, it doesn't really matter how you worship God as long as you're sincere. Or it doesn't really matter, you know, uh, so much what you do as long as, as, as you do something really religious. Well, friends, there's a way you do things and there's a way you don't do things. What is amazing to me is here Saul is a man who knew Samuel, who knew God, and yet decided to do it his own way. Now, uh, uh, friends, it would be nice to say that this was in the Bible a long time ago and it's not an issue today, but uh, friends, I think it's as much an issue today of people trying to approach God in their own way as it was then. It's interesting that fear will cause a lot of people to do a lot of things. 
It's interesting that because they, the people saw the size of the army of the Philistines, that they began to scatter from Saul, which tells me a couple of things, that Saul was not the leader that they thought he was. You see, again, the, he, he was not able, because he didn't evidently have this relationship with God, as we read here, he didn't have that relationship with God to steady and, saw, and stabilize the hearts of the people, saying, listen, God is with us, who can be against us? But rather, he didn't have anything to say. He sent to Samuel. Samuel says, wait there for seven days, I'll be there. Samuel shows up late, and so Saul takes the matter into his own hands to offer up the sacrifices. So, first of all, he worshiped God in an unprescribed manner. Second of all, he robbed the Levites of their rightful role of what God had called them to do. Now, again, this tells me a lot concerning the way people approach God today. A lot of people say, well, I know Jesus died on the cross, and this is what we celebrate here in a few days. But actually, we as Christians celebrate it every day. Jesus' death on the cross for our sins and him raising from the dead to demonstrate to us that he has power over death and that his life that filled his body is the same life that fills ours. Well, as you look at this, you realize a lot of people want to approach God in their own way. They'll say things like, well, I know Jesus died on the cross, but I'm a pretty good guy. And when I get to heaven, I'm just going to show God all the great things I did. Or I'm going to go to, you know, I'm going to go up in, in, the, in, the, in the, you know, I, I worship with the trees. You know, tree hugger. Love ya. You know, a lot of, a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I have decided to cleanse myself. I eat only organically grown food. And, and so therefore, I, I, I have this oneness with God. You see, friends, it's the same kind of thing Saul was doing. He was taking the matter into his own hands rather than finding the way that God wanted to be related with. Now, friends, this is important because it happens to each one of us. Again, you think back when you were six years old. Now, some of us, that's back when the earth was cooling. But when you think back and you remember that you might have had a crush on a boy or on a girl. You're five years old. She's really cute. And you, you, know, you really want to impress her. So you go through your things and you find the most precious, valuable thing that you have. And so you give the girl next door with the cute little, uh, you know, little hair and the little, the little ponytail, you give her your frog. Well, she's not impressed with that because that's not the way that she wants to be related to. Saw a cartoon one time. These, these two couple were out on a date. He's getting ready to go away to college. And he says, you know, there's something I've been meaning to give to you for a long time. I've known you for years. We've had many great moments together. We've dated for a long time. And you know my deep feelings for you. And so he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a small box. And there in the very warm moment of that magical time in which a man gives the most precious thing that he could give to his girlfriend, he opens the box and says, I've been saving this for you. I got this and and I can't think of anything I'd rather give you It's a gear shift knob from my 1967 XKE Jaguar. (laughs) Well, we we see that, that we we understand that principle, but imagine how people approach God. Saying, well, God, look at how I'm impressing you. Look, 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 here's the gear shift knob. Here's my frog. 
God isn't interested in those things. He's looking at your heart. And those things and the purposes and tents of what we are as people. Saul robs the Levites of their rightful place. He oversteps his boundaries. Now the reason why he did this, friends, somebody might look at this and say, yes, but he was trying. Yes, but it's because he didn't know God. And out of really knowing that Samuel was the person that he was to wait for. Notice, he says, verse 9 again. Saul says, bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me. Now, actually, it wasn't burnt at the time. He was going to offer it upon the altar. But he said, the thing that I'm going to offer upon the altar, you bring to me. It happened. Soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him. And to greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Now this is important because uh, Samuel recognized what was going on. And I, I believe, friends, that sometimes that God's timing is not ours. We oftentimes know that when we're praying and the rent's due and, and uh, we don't know what we're going to do and we're on our way down to tell them that we're going to have to move out and you find an envelope on the floor and you pick it up and there's just cash in it and you pay your rent, you go, thank you, Lord, that timing is wonderful. But I think sometimes God tarries and waits because he's trying to accomplish some different things and certainly Samuel here was not really late. This was a divine appointment to see what Saul would do when he was under the test. You see, in order to be a, a leader, it takes three things. And ladies and men, if, first of all, if you're not married, this is what you want to look for in a man. If you are a man and you're single, these are the three things you need to accomplish. And if you are married, these are the things that you need to arise to. A king, a priest, and a prophet to lead your home. A king is somebody that understands the principles of God and as he's learned from his king, he implements those in the home. A priest is one who prays and re represents the spiritual aspect of the home and of the family. And a prophet is somebody who sees into the future, who foretells under the anointing of God to set direction for the family. If you find men that don't know where they're going, I'll tell you something, I guarantee you they don't know where, if, 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 if you don't know where they've been, they're not going to know where they're going. And so that's one of the things you always want to look at in your own life. Those are three areas that need to be in balance. Again, being a king, a priest, and a prophet. Remember one time my sister was dating this particular fellow. And in the church that I went to, uh, this man came one night and just had a word of knowledge. And so he was speaking along, and he stops, and he said, I want you to come up here. And he pointed at my sister, and my sister walked up. Now, one, one thing, these, sometimes you read about these stories, and you wonder if they're really true. Well, I was there, so I know. And my sister had been telling me that she didn't know whether she was to marry this man or not. And so he called her up, and she was sitting next to her boyfriend, or verge of fiancé, and said, you come up here too. And he looked at this guy, and he said, there's three things that make a man, a king, priest, and a prophet. He said, you've made priest and prophet, but you have, he said, you made king and prophet, but you haven't made priest. Go sit down. He went and sat down. Looked at my sister, and, and he said, the Lord's told me to tell you to submit. Send her to sit down. 
Now, what was really interesting, if you didn't know what was on her heart and what she had prayed and what she had revealed to me, you would have thought that she was to submit to this man. But that was what the question was. The question was, God, should I marry him or not? Show me if he really loves you or not. And when she heard, because she was worried about that, because she didn't see the fruit in his life like she knew that she needed to see, when the Lord told her that he is not right with me, you submit to that, she broke off the engagement. And um, so, and the Lord had somebody else for her. I think it's really important because, again, there's so many people today that approach God in their own smoke and steam, if you will. They may even cloak it with the Bible. They may cloak it with flowery words. And they may read the Bible and even textually teach. It doesn't mean anything if God isn't behind it. And you can always tell when God's behind something and when He isn't. Because if you have to do something that goes against the very principles of God's Word, then you know God's not behind it. I've seen a lot of people, in the case of like Saul, tooting their own horn. I think it's always a dangerous thing when people do that. Well, notice he says, as soon as he had finished the offering, the burnt offering, that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Samuel said, when I saw the people were scattered from me, Now, this guy has a real ego issue. First of all, he was blowing his own horn. Now he's worried that the people aren't gathered to the Lord, but they're gathered to him. This is a dangerous place for any person in leadership to be in when they're trying to gather people to themselves rather than to God. Notice he says, And when I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed. So if there's anybody here that's wrong, it's you. You said seven days. You weren't here. Now, notice this. He just got busted. What have you done? The average person, I think a person who would be listening to God saying, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I, you know, no, no. What does this guy offer? He starts defending himself and offering excuses and blaming others for his sin. Notice he says, Scattered for me that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash. Then I said, then I said, this guy really has an eye problem, doesn't he? Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, notice it said, not upon us. And I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, get this, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. Now, we've talked about this before. I felt compelled. What was the ingredients in his sin but his feelings? If you've missed any part of today's episode, I'd like to invite you to grab the free podcast of its time by hopping on the iTunes store and downloading your own copy. If you like having the disc, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order for First Samuel. From Pastor Mike, myself, and all of us here at the River, thanks for tuning in to It's Time.